بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين. Tonight we'll be continuing our series on uh, the topic Reformation of Character uh, based on this book here, uh, originally written by Hadrat uh, Maulana Hakim Muhammad Akhtar. Uh, so the name of the scholar is Muhammad Akhtar, and prior to that, these are honorary uh, titles, mashallah. He was the original author, and the translator is Sheikh Tamim Ahmadi. Uh, may Allah preserve him, and may Allah accept the efforts of both of them. Uh, the publisher is Noor Publications. We ask Allah to grant all of us Noor in this life and the next, Amir Rabbil Alameen, and we ask Allah to help us uh, all to try our best to reform our character so long as we're alive. This is a lifelong struggle. This is a lifelong process. And no one is making any claims. We're just trying to, to do our best. Uh, and this book helps us to navigate certain things that we want to do and other things that we want to avoid. Uh, the first topic for today, evil thoughts and their cure. By this illness, other illnesses of enmity, hatred, disdain of others, jealousy, and backbiting are created. When an evil thought occurs regarding someone, immediately think. So this is like cognitive restructuring. Uh, so when an evil thought occurs regarding someone, immediately think, I will have to present evidence on the Day of Judgment for this evil thought. I don't possess any definitive ev evidence, definitive evidence, that's a tongue twister. So why should I fall into this dispute? Why don't I have good thoughts so that I can continue receiving reward without evidence? So the idea is to, to restructure the thought pattern. Uh, the one who carries tales from one place to another creating enmity and hatred among the Muslims is referred to as a tale bearer. Obviously that's something bad to do in general, but it's there's an extra layer um, of badness, if you will, as it relates to the, uh, the Muslim community specifically, because the idea is to look, first look at yourself, then look at your family, then look at your community, then you look at uh, mankind at large, right? So step one, the, per, the individual, and then the second layer is the family, the third layer is the, the, the religious community, and then the fourth layer is humanity at large. So it doesn't mean that it's okay to go and do this, you know, generally speaking, among people who may not be Muslim, but what this is emphasizing, focus on the Muslim community first, because Lord knows there's a lot of work that we need to put in regarding our own community uh, first. Uh, the one who carries tales from one place to another, creating enmity and hatred among the Muslims, is referred to as a tale bearer. The cure for such a person is to seize him by the hand, to take him by the hand, and take him to the person who he's gossiping about. Ask that person and say, this person is narrating this speech of yours to me, saying that you have backbitten me. If it turns out to be false, then he will never carry tales again, hopefully. If, however, it is proved true, then the person who has backbitten you will feel ashamed, at least they should, and seek pardon, at least they should. Uh, sometimes that may not be the case. They may flare up, get defensive, and, and you know, walk off uh, puffed up with pride and arrogance. Um, but th this is one possible outcome. They should feel ashamed and seek pardon. That person will never again possess the courage to backbite you again, hopefully. Uh, the next topic, 20 evils of the tongue. One, to engage in futile speech. Two, to speak more than is necessary. Lord knows this happens all the time, especially online. 
Number three, to needlessly narrate tales of sinners and wrongdoers. SubhanAllah, some people may do this online, some people may do this in person, and some people may just do this within themselves, uh, where they're, they're overly focused on you know, what, what other people are doing wrong. Uh, I ask Allah to guide. Of course, you have a spectrum. You have like serious oppression. That's a major issue, um, like white supremacy in America. Uh, and in the world, but you know, if we're in America, then we specifically want to focus on our locality. And then you you have so that's like one end of the spectrum, straight up oppression, major major issues there. Uh, you know, we, we ask Allah for guidance. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you could have like you know much much smaller things like you know stupid gossip or or what have you. Um, the idea is is you know. To, to, to navigate with wisdom. So it's mentioned at number three, to needlessly, needlessly is the key word here. Oppression, there's a need to fight oppression. Need, to needlessly narrate tales of sinners and wrongdoers. It's like, man, I, I don't need to know that you saw someone vaping outside of Costco. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really not interested. Uh, I have my own work to put in. Number four, to unnecessarily argue and debate. <laughs> this happens very often, uh, especially with some of the, uh, especially with some individuals, we'll leave it at that. Number five, to fight and quarrel. Uh, number six, to exaggerate and embellish. Number seven, to be profane, to curse. Number eight, to be foul-mouthed and to utter disrespectful words to elders. Number nine, to invoke la'nat, uh, curses. Uh, so if someone is super occupied all the time, you know, may Allah curse that person, may Allah curse that person, may Allah curse that person all the time it's like dude like what what about the other what about the other side what about the good people like isn't there you know may Allah bless that person may Allah have mercy on that person what about the good side of things number 10 to sing songs and poems contrary to the sharia number 11 to laugh excessively number 12 to speak to someone in a belittling manner that's a big one may Allah protect us from that uh, number 13, to expose someone's secret, subhanAllah. Number 14, to make false promises. Number 14 is especially important in the dynamic between the parent and the child. Unfortunately, sometimes you have a lot of parents making false promises to their, to their children. And it, it's a false promise, and they know it's a false promise, but they make it anyways. Uh, it, it's an issue. Uh, a child should not automatically think that inshallah means no. If that's the case, and that means the parent is using insha'Allah all the time wrongfully, right? So to, to be, if someone like, you know, I call it the, the Disneyland, insha'Allah, if a, if a kid asks their parent, oh, can we go to Disneyland? Insha'Allah, insha'Allah, that, don't, don't do that. If you say insha'Allah, then it should be said with, with sincerity. So number 14, to make false promises. Uh, number 15, to speak lies. However, if one lies to make peace between two Muslims, or you could even say two people, or if an oppressed person speaks a lie so that he can receive his right, then this is permissible. Obviously, you know, that needs to be understood within context. Uh, number 16, to backbite. This means to speak in someone's absence, such words that if he, was, he or she, that if he was present, he would feel bad, even if it is true. This action is forbidden. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The good deeds of those who backbite will be taken away and given to the other person, subhanAllah. Number 17, to carry tales. Number 18, to praise or flatter someone in his presence. However, if there is no fear of pride entering his heart by your praises, 
Rather, his spirits will be raised to do good actions, then there's no harm. So, you know, sprinkling some wisdom, uh, like Salt Bay does with salt, mashallah. May Allah give him the best of steak in this life and the next. Uh, number 19, to be unconcerned with subtle but grievous errors in one speech. Some people say, Sheikh, whatever dua emerges from your mouth will definitely be accepted. Or um, uh, above our support is from Allah and below is yours. All such speech is shirk. So this is very problematic and that should be avoided for sure. Number 20, uh, for the general public to ask scholars questions which have no relevance or connection to their necessities. It is a waste of their time to ask futile and unnecessary questions, subhanAllah. So if, if a question is asked for it to be done in the right time, the right place, so for example, if there's a local scholar to schedule something with them during their office hours, so that way they can give you the appropriate time regarding your issue, and also that way you're not eating up their time because they may very, and they probably do have something else that they have to get to. And a lot of people fall into this trap of thinking, oh, it's just gonna be a minute. It's just gonna, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, it's just five minutes. No, it's not. It's probably like, you know, two hours and 25 minutes. Uh, so to respect the time of that scholar, to schedule something, right? To schedule an appointment with them, just like you would a doctor appointment. You don't go to a doctor in the community and say, oh, you know, uh, uh, I have this issue, you know, in this part of my body, I need you to look at it now. You wouldn't do that. You would respect their time, hopefully, and schedule something appropriately, professionally, and respect their time. By doing that, it's good for them and it's good for you. You, you, you shouldn't be looking for a drive-through uh, answer to like a huge question, right? Instead, it should be a sit-down uh, sit experience not 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 a not a not a drive-through, right? Out of respect to yourself and your own issue, and then the scholar and their time as well. And then once that happens, you schedule the appointment, and that it may be a week or two or three or four or five out, respect their time. Uh, don't look for a curbside consult. Then once you're within that window of time, uh, to make sure that it's, you know, the these are like th there's relevance to the to 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 your questions, not for them to just be you know I call them dinosaur questions, um, like during Quran class you know with the with the kids with the students, uh, one of the so we we try to allot time for Q and A consistently. Lord knows they have a lot of questions. Mashallah, these kids they have a lot of questions. I say that in a good way. They have a lot of like really big questions. A lot of a lot of deep questions, mashallah. So we try to allot time for that during Quran, Quran class because it's not just about memorizing Quran and you go home. We want to understand the Quran and reflect upon it. And then there also needs to be time as, as a check-in so each student can mention something that's on their mind, good, bad, or ugly. Um, and then also for there to be time for a Q&A because they have huge questions, huge, mashallah, very, very good questions. Um, so the the so one of the one of the things that I tell them is if you have a question, you know, wait till the time for Q and A, um, out of respect for all of our time, and please make sure it's not a dinosaur question. You may be wondering what is a dinosaur question. That's what, if someone asks, you know, if we were alive at the time of dinosaurs, would it be halal or haram to eat them? It's like that that has that has no relevance in your day to day life, right? So to reflect on the, the relevance and the necessity of the question. The next topic, the cure for the diseases of the tongue. 
Definitely a big topic. The cure for all the ailments of the tongue is that one should always think before speaking. Whatever I want to say, will my master and sustainer, referring to God, will my master and sustainer be happy with it or not? End quote. If the thought comes that he will be happy, then speak. <laughs> a lot of people don't do this, including a lot of religious folk. Don't do this. Um, subhanAllah. If the thought comes that he will, that God will be happy, then speak. On the contrary, if there is fear that he will be displeased, then remain silent. If only that would actually happen, Ya Rab. Um, one scholar said, do not speak without thinking, even if you have to remain silent for a while. How can there be sorrow in silence, which is then followed up with words that yield benefit? SubhanAllah, very, very, um, very good point. An incident. After an extended period of drought, heavy rain suddenly came. Upon seeing this, a pious and righteous individual exclaimed, Splendid! Today Allah, most exalted, has sent down the rain at the right time. An inspiration came to him forthwith. So think of like his, his conscience or his, like his, his iman kind of, you know, responded to him. Uh, and, and inspiration came to him forthwith. Oh, disrespectful one, did we ever send down rain at the wrong time? He immediately began weeping and repented with great regret. Hence, one should be very cautious in his speech. SubhanAllah. The next topic is backbiting. Big topic. And that's why, uh, you know, a, a good uh, amount of time is spent on it. This refers to speaking ill of a Muslim in his absence or of relating anything negative about him, such as about his children, vehicle, or house to others. This could be done verbally or by hand gestures, like making a sign that he is short, pointing to one's eye to indicate that he is blind or blind in one eye, bending one's back to allude that someone has a bent back, or raising one leg and walking to indicate towards someone's limp. In essence, this refers to mentioning your brother in such a way that if he were present, then he would most assuredly be saddened or upset by the expressions, even if they were true. This is huge. Um, not just regarding doing it behind their back, some people even do it in their presence, which is even worse, subhanAllah. Thus, when you speak about any person, first think that if he were present, would he be pleased or displeased with your speech or gestures? If your heart feels that he, if only people would actually think before speaking. If your heart feels that he would be displeased, then this is backbiting. And it is backbiting even if what is being said or expressed is true. If on the other hand, what is being expressed is not even true, then this is referred to as buhtan, slander. And this obviously is prohibited. This is even worse. So it's, it's like, it's really bad to say something about someone that they would not want you to say, even if it's true. It's even worse to say that in their presence, to their face. And it's also worse than backbiting to say something bad about them in their absence. And on top of that is not true. So we want to avoid all of these, but especially the latter two, right? Of, of, so like being rude behind someone's back, like only a punk would do that. May Allah protect us from the way of the punk. Um, so that's bad enough. It's even worse if you say it in front of them. And then it's even worse if you say something behind their back and it's false. 
Subhanallah. So you find the importance of the tongue. Some people taking advantage of their connection or relationship with an individual will make mention of the person's house, vehicle, wife, or children in such a way that if he were present, he would have felt bad about it. Look at the care that Islam emphasizes on the heart of the person, on the feelings of the person, right? The, the, the emotional state of the person. Uh, this is also considered backbiting. Uh, so if, okay, um, if you say something bad about them and if they were present, they would have felt bad about it. This is also considered backbiting. Nevertheless, if with the, with the intention of reformation, one in four, okay, so if, if you tell like the parents of, of, of the child or the teacher of the student or the, the spiritual guide of the murid, then it is not considered backbiting. That has to be done with a ton of wisdom. Um, so like if you mention to uh, a parent something regarding their kid, first of all, you need to assess who are these parents and how is their character? Because in some cases, if you go and tell the parent that, hey, I saw your kid like vaping outside of Costco, if you know those parents and they have like severe anger issues and they might like kick their kid out, even if they're like, whatever, 15 or 16, because yeah, that's something dumb. No one is saying like, hey, vaping is good. It's bad, no question about it. It's bad for you, it's bad for your health, it's bad for your time, it's 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 you know, it, it's bad for, for your money. We know that. But if you know that their parent or parents are gonna flat out super overreact and like severely harm their child, you may want to think twice about it. What what this is mentioning here is if you mention something to someone who can help in the situation. So this is referring to, okay, parents who are wise, if you mention to them that, hey, this is something that I saw your kid doing and you trust that they're going to respond with wisdom, that's what this is talking about. Telling parents who are wise, telling telling teachers who are wise, telling the uh, 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 spiritual guides uh, of their murids, spiritual guides who are wise. That is the, the key to this whole thing. Otherwise, you know, things can, can actually get worse. Uh, similarly, if you are made aware of someone intending to cause harm to somebody else, then to inform the potential victim with the intention of saving him from harm is obligatory, absolutely without question. Furthermore, this encompasses having concern for your Muslim brother. And obviously you should be concerned for your, your human brother, your brother in humanity as well, uh, generally speaking. Uh, a hadith states that backbiting is more grievous than fornication. Scholars have stated that the reason for this is that fornication is a violation of Allah's rights. No doubt it's a serious violation, but, but take this into consideration. Hence, if one desires forgiveness and repentance from Allah, then there's always hope of being forgiven. Obviously, it's, it's, it's a major sin. But look at the, 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 the sliver of wisdom here, the glimmer of wisdom here. Then there's always hope of being forgiven. However, backbiting is a violation of a servant's right, of a person's right. This means that as long as the person does not forgive, then the guilty party will not be granted forgiveness. So, so that needs to be understood uh, within the, uh, the proper context. And Lord knows slander can cause a lot more harm in society uh, than, um, than zina. No, no one is justifying it. No one is watering it down. Rather, it shows how serious of an issue this is, subhanAllah. So you have people going and putting out all these ridiculous refutation videos of, of scholars and subhanAllah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem. 
Hakim al-Ummah Thanwi, Allah have mercy on him, said, backbiting is both the father and son of enmity. That is to say that backbiting, more often than not, gives birth to enmity and hatred. And at other times, the underlying enmity that already exists gives birth to the, to the backbiting that ensues. As a result, we can understand how despicable a sin this can be, how evil a lineage it could bear, where it acts as both the father and the son. That's actually very eloquent, mashallah. May Allah have mercy on him. Um, later on, it's mentioned, um, no one can discern who is accepted by Allah and who is not, because a person may outwardly appear to be a simple, ordinary Muslim, while all along, some of his deeds done in solitude may have caused him to achieve a high and noble status in the sight of Allah. Similarly, the opposite also holds true. On the Day of Judgment, how many people who used to be a very high status and this may include status regarding deen, will be disgraced. And how many people who used to be of lowly status will be honored, subhanAllah. May Allah grant us all the ability to honor all Muslims and abstain from backbiting. Ameen. Hakim al-Ummah Thanwi, Allah have mercy on him, said, whoever has concern for his own evil condition, he will at all times fear Allah most exalted with regard to himself, so much that Never mind fellow Muslims, he will see himself as worse than disbelievers and worse yet, even animals. Uh, one scholar said, they became as honorable as the angels because they considered themselves lower than the animals. SubhanAllah. The, the friends of Allah, because of the fear that they hold uh, as to their eventual outcome on the plains of resurrection, do not regard themselves better than say dogs. The reason for this is that dogs, and even pigs for that matter, are better than a person who meets an evil end because there is no punishment in hell for these animals. The friends of Allah, on the other hand, can, due to the degree of their servitude and self-annihilation regarding the, the, the nafs, the ego, even surpass the angels in terms of honor. This is because Allah, more than anything else, desires humility, servitude, and self-annihilation from his servants. Likewise, it is not strength that will avail anyone on the day of judgment. Rather, only by crying and humbling oneself before Allah will one attain the objective. This is the essence not only of suluk, spiritual wayfaring, and tasawwuf, Sufism. Understand this is orthodox Sufism, um, orthodox taskiyat nafs, not weird stuff. Uh, but of humanity itself. In fact, whoever possesses such humility will show compassion to all of creation. He will neither cause harm to anyone nor take revenge. The, the erudite scholar Abu Qasim al-Qushayri has written, a person who takes revenge, becoming overpowered by the fervor of revenge, can never be a friend of Allah. A friend of Allah is one who is forbearing and who continues making dua for those who vex and trouble him. Obviously, within reason. Uh, one scholar has, com has composed this amazing couplet. Uh, Whoever has broken my heart into bits by his oppression, Ahmed, referring to himself, uh, has also made dua for him from the depths of his heart. Some people are quite advanced and part. So that's saying, like, if you're going to take, it's perfectly okay to take your right from someone. Um, in, in the appropriate manner, you know, there, there's a process, there's a legal process for that. Um, and it, it shouldn't go above, above and beyond. 
Like if someone steps on your toes, you don't go and amputate his foot, for example. That, that would be going too far. If someone steps on your toes, should they apologize? Yes. If, uh, it, and then, so if you look at the example of an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, then the, the correct process would be, okay, then, you know, they're, they're taken into account. And then, you know, you're given the option, look, you can either step on their toes as well, or you can forgive them. So this, this is talking about things, um, you know, we need to understand things in their appropriate context. Um, so to not go like above and beyond and do too much in response. Uh, and look, some people, there are some situations where they're wronged too much and it's, it's too bad. They don't necessarily have to forgive. They don't necessarily have to, it's up to them. It's up to them. And it's very important to empower them and to make them feel like and understand that it's up to them. You're not, they're not being told you have to forgive. No, no, no. They're given the op, their case is heard and seen and validated. By the way, half the time, that's like the main concern that the victim, they just want to be heard and they want to be seen and they want their pain and their case and their concern to be validated for crying out loud. Let that happen first for them to give in the clean and clear option, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You have full right to, to, to claim justice in court against this person. So let's say they're, they're, given, they're given the time of day, they're, they're given that option, then it's up to them to decide, look, under no pressure, under, under no compulsion, do you choose to forgive this person? Or do you want them to be punished appropriately based on the, 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 the punishment is, is um, in, in uh, uh, it has to be uh, in, in like connection with, with uh, the crime. It has to be like balanced in that regard uh, for, for them to be given that option, then it's up to them. Half the time, that's the main thing that victims want to be heard, given the time of day for the oppressor to be put in check and for them to be given the choice, what do you want to happen? To be empowered for them to choose what happens. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Or out of your own grace, compassion, and mercy, do you choose to forgive? Let that happen and, and, and give them that time. And if, look, if they, if, they want, if they want justice, that's their right. Obviously, this has to be done appropriately through, through a legal system. And if, so if they choose to not forgive, that's fine. They don't have to, right? The Prophet, he told Wahshi after he became Muslim uh, and, and the Prophet asked him about what happened with, with his beloved uncle Hamza radiallahu anhu and Wahshi told him the Prophet was so, so grief stricken and he was so pained. He told Wahshi, please, after today, hide your face from me. Because as a human, it would cut, it was a trigger for the Prophet. It was a trigger for trauma. Now, would anyone go to the Prophet and say, that's not valid? SubhanAllah. The Prophet wasn't pinned because of this. So he said, look, I need this boundary to be in place because of my pain and the amount of my pain. SubhanAllah, what's amazing, Wahshi respected it. Radiallahu anhu. He respected it. So he, he, would, he, would, he would hide his face from, from the Prophet. So even if he prayed behind the Prophet, he would still cover his face especially at when, 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 he, when he was leaving. Because the Prophet said, what? Please keep your face from me. Why? 
because seeing him would trigger the pain within the heart of the Prophet. What did Prophet Ibrahim say to his father when his father threatened him, when his father threatened his life, his safety, his well being? He left. He left. He left him. Why? To protect himself. But now you have people going and telling people, no, 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 you know, you're not allowed to do that. SubhanAllah. Like you, you're telling someone you have to go and be best friends with this person who has caused you major pain and harm. You know, what has the world come to? May Allah grant us wisdom, understanding, and compassion. So this needs to be understood appropriately. Some people are quite advanced and particular in praying ishraq, also known as duha, and awabin, and performing dhikr, muraqaba, and tasbihat. However, as soon as someone causes them any difficulty or something happens contrary to their temperament, they immediately place, the, place their prayer beads in their pockets and resort to uttering obscenities and using vulgar language. Just, you know, just cussing them out with no shame, subhanAllah. May Allah protect us. Uh, they do not discern whom they are addressing, whether it is someone older or younger, whether it is their parents, teacher, or sheikh. No, they at that point forget everything. It is regarding such people that this statement, this statement is most known. At one moment they are saints, at another they are beasts. SubhanAllah. Whoever keeps the anger, and we'll conclude inshallah in a moment, whoever keeps the anger of Allah before himself at all times, excuse me, meaning they're continuously reflecting on it, then it'll help them to, to forget and tame their own anger. One's own anger can be used, however, but only in the pleasure of Allah and after the nafs has been thoroughly annihilated. And then the example of, is given of Sayyidina Umar, how before accepting Islam, his anger was used against Muslims, but then after accepting Islam, it was used against the enemies uh, of Islam. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So the idea is reformation, right? That, that's the idea throughout this whole book is reformation. We all have struggles, but we want to try to reform them. So we can at least say to Allah when we meet him that we tried, that we tried our best. We tried to work on our shortcomings and we hope Allah accepts the effort and Allah forgives our mistakes. Um, Okay, and then to conclude the section on backbiting, quite a bit of several pages were dedicated to backbiting because of how severe an issue it is, subhanAllah. Uh, to conclude, Hakim al-Ummah uh, Thanwi, so the, the author of this book was a student of Hakim al-Ummah Thanwi, Allah mercy on him. So that's one of the reasons why he quotes him often. Uh, he said, you will, you will not see a person about to be, it's a very, I think, good uh, and vivid example. Hakim al-Ummah Thanwi, a great scholar from the subcontinent said, you will, you will not see a person about to be hanged. So if they're about to be hung, you will not see them backbiting a person caught for a minor crime, nor will you see a person suffering from leprosy laughing at one who has a minor cough. Therefore, the one whose gaze is fixed on the terrifying reckoning and the final outcome on the day of judgment will neither laugh at nor backbite others. He will neither have the time nor courage to do so. My poem is, truly inappropriate it is, O foolish heart, for one suffering leprosy to laugh at one with a common cold. SubhanAllah, we ask Allah for shifat, physically, mentally, spiritually. We ask Allah for healing. We ask Allah uh, for a cure. We ask Allah to guide us and forgive us. We ask Allah 
to help us to try our best uh, to put uh, the ideas, the concepts mentioned within this book into practice. Uh, we ask Allah to accept any effort that we try to put in as it relates to this issue and in general. And we ask Allah to overlook our many, many shortcomings. In reality, if we were to look at our book of deeds, uh, we would ask Allah for forgiveness time and time again. That, that would be the main thing that we would ask of Allah. We ask Allah to forgive us. We ask Allah to forgive us sincerely. And part of sincerely asking Allah for forgiveness is that there's the intention to try to be better. No one is talking about running a marathon in two and a half seconds. No one is talking about running a marathon in two steps. This is a lifelong process. It's, it's, it's a major uh, project, you could say. Uh, but we try our best. We try our best. We ask Allah to help us. We ask Allah to guide us and forgive us. Uh, we ask Allah to help us to benefit, uh, you know, to, to benefit from, from the, uh, you know, the many scholars who are out there. We ask Allah to help us to take uh, goodness from them. And we ask Allah to gather all of us with the Prophet, in hereafter. We ask Allah to help us as it relates to reforming our character. We're almost done. We're in the home stretch. Uh, we have uh, just a few a few pages left. What's left is lying, vulgar language, harshness, abstaining, uh, not forgiving people's mistakes. Uh, obviously, that uh, has to do especially with, with more minor mistakes. Uh, abstaining from speaking, promises and trusts. And then, and then there's the conclusion. We're right there. Khitamu Mumisk, SubhanAllah. Uh, we hope to conclude this in our next session, inshallah. Uh, side note, Ramadan is right around the corner, right around the corner. Ramadan is in just over two months, subhanAllah. Uh, so th this is a very, very important way that we can try to prepare our hearts for Ramadan, our character. At Ramadan, people often think mainly of fasting. Here's the thing, though. The fasting is supposed to be a catalyst for taqwa and taqwa and good character. They go together like this. Uh, may Allah make us from among the pious, from amongst the, the muttaqeen. Amni Rabbil Alameen. Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Azzati Amma Yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.